Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast from just south of nowhere in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm Phil Harvey. I am joined today by Kelsey Zeiser in North Carolina's capital city. Hello, Kelsey. Hello, Phil. How are things in Raleigh today? They are getting hot and humid, so <laughs> summer's here. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, it is a the hot, the heat, the humidity, all those good things are going to be uh, bearing down upon us for the next couple of months, unfortunately. Um, speaking of, in the hot seat today, in a probably not so hot part of Denver, I would imagine, is uh, Bill Walker's uh, former CenturyLink executive and frequent light reading conference speaker. Hi, Bill. Hi, Phil. Hi, Kelsey. How's it going? Going great. And you are just south of Denver, right? Yeah, I'm down here in Little Colorado. Ah, so is is uh, is summer um, uh, really kicked into high gear there yet, or do you still have nice, cool mornings that you can enjoy a cup of coffee out on the porch and stuff? Really cool mornings. Oh, that's good. Well, and 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 uh, we're in Texas, so we we we've lost all track of cool mornings. Uh, <laughs> I think we we had one or two in in you know uh, late February, <laughs> and yeah. that was it. Here, here, uh, cool morning is like between four a.m. and six a.m. and then yeah. that, it's all <laughs> just, over. So you can still have coffee on the porch; it just has to be in complete darkness. Right? The, yeah, you, okay. you have to be an early morning person, right. which well, I'm not. So. Uh, you gotta, you know, that's a, one of those things. Uh, but, uh, let's get on with the, the business at hand. So listeners, you're, you're, uh, listening to episode 27 and we are talking to Bill about Bill and his op- observations, uh, on the, uh, telecom industry in general. Uh, Bill recently, uh, left CenturyLink after what was it? Four years there? Uh, about three and a half. Yeah. Three and a half. Okay. And, and, and in that time, I, I think that's, you know, one of the reasons you've been um, a frequent speaker at light reading events is because of your uh, uncanny ability to explain what was going on in the network. Um, and you were working with a, a team there that was all about uh, working on virtualization, uh, SDN and, and, and the cloud. Um, so before we kind of go back in time, um, let me ask the obvious question. Uh, what are you up to next or where, uh, what, what are your, uh, immediate plans or do they just involve, um, hanging out and doing podcasts and stuff like that? <laughs> well, my, my first reaction always is, oh my God, I have to go find a job. Um, the truth is a, a year ago, I actually got my PBA card. So I'm a part-time professional bowler and wow. you know, what, a, what a great opportunity to actually go out on the seniors tour and, you know, see how bad I really am. But um, when, when I was looking, you know, all of a sudden I realized that, you know, I don't need a job like tomorrow. I don't need a paycheck. So what a what a great opportunity. What a great time at the moment um, with NFV and SDN and all the moves that are being made in 5G and Mac and, and all the interesting technology changes of, you know, I want to work for a winner. I, I want to work for someone with the right vision, someone with an opportunity. Um, and, and I think the telco it um wireless wireline uh, even the hosting and colo type vendors have really kind of mashed everything together in the last in the last six months um really you're starting to see some interesting moves uh, in the news and you know seeing who has the uh, the best potential and the best opportunity and then the commitment to actually succeed i think looking for the right job is more looking for the right uh, segment of the market and the right employer that I think is going to execute. Yeah. 
And and would you meet them in a bowling alley? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the dude. That's, it seems it seems like a it seems like a pretty awesome place to have a job interview. I gotta say, it definitely. Yeah, a little noisy, but um. So, Bill, looking back at your nearly four years at CenturyLink, what are some of your biggest takeaways from your time there? Well, it was actually my the first time in about twenty years that I worked for a customer. Um, and you know, you're a vendor too. You're a vendor of network services, but um, mm-hmm. I'm an IT guy. I have an IT background. I came from Sun Oracle, um, you know, going back decades. So this was my my first time actually dealing with procurement and dealing as a customer of these vendors, and then you know working in a dynamic environment where I could learn more about networking and more about you know how the carrier networks are put together was. Uh, very educational. I said it was a great learning opportunity. When you were um, in the middle of that learning opportunity, um, I mean, one of the things we kind of know you from is is having to um, work with a really small, you know, a relatively small team and accomplish something that was going to be, you know, rolled out over over an entire um, uh, telco, you know, an entire network. Um, what? you know, what do you say about, uh, or, or can you give somebody any advice about, you know, uh, what it takes to succeed in that sort of thing where your work is, um, you know, your resources may be, uh, pretty finite, but, but the, uh, the rollout or the result of your work is going to be very public and very visible. And, and that's, I'm probably answering one of your future questions because I know you're <laughs> going to get into this one. Um, so one of the, I wouldn't even call it a problem. A challenge of telcos is, is you know, class five switching. Nobody graduates from college anymore and want, and says, I want to be the, the huge, you know, the, the best engineer of class five switching. <laughs> you know, but voice is kind of declining and, you know, broadband's sort of a low margin business these days. Um, so if you look at, you know, where the talents are coming out and where the successes are, they're in the agile, small startup Companies that don't solve the problem 100%, they're very iterative, they come out with new releases, and they, they follow their customers' needs and their customers' markets. Uh, if you look at telcos, you know, MPLS is MPLS. Class 5 switching is class 5 switching. Mm-hmm. If you drop 911 calls, people die, and there's million dollars of fines. So yeah. the, the risk of destroying your business by having an incompatible system that can't communicate with your peers is, is just incredible for the blast. Uh, eight decades. Um, so instilling kind of a startup, flexible, adaptable culture, um, and getting products out with a few friendly customers and figuring out operations as you pass a hundred customers, um, is just not in the culture of most telcos. And I think that's the, that's the biggest change. Bill, you and I have discussed um, the increase of DevOps in at service providers like CenturyLink, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. Do you feel like that approach is helping service providers move at the pace they need to be at, or do they still have a long road to hoe? Well, I, th- I think it's it's a difficult. To to <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got to yeah. work on my Southernisms yeah. for representing yeah, exactly. Raleigh. I'm just, oh man. <laughs> You know what I mean. <laughs> so, so I think the, that the biggest challenge is that you have to have both mindsets. So how can you be a, a utility company that's, you know, that's goal is, you know, 29s of availability or whatever the number is, um, <laughs> you know, 
that, you know, 911 calls and you're part of critical infrastructure, you're part of national security. And then how can you fail fast? You know, failure is not an option in, in the classic telco world. So um, when you're developing these new products and you're being iterative, using a Facebook AB where 90% of your people are using the old release and you start to slide new customers in on the new release, um, being able to back that out right away and, you know, doing these weekly or biweekly releases of software, that, that doesn't fit with the mindset of, you know, of telephone. I mean, I, you know, I'm going back 40 years now, but um, so where's that, where's that line where you can be an aggressive startup who's chasing the 30, 40% margin business at the same time, you're trying to maintain that utility mindset of being a hundred percent available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that, that, that's an incredible challenge because you can't, the, as you mentioned, the, the, the really successful startups are the ones that aren't trying to solve the entire problem. They're just trying to do one little thing and then they just sort of, and then their customers sort of tell them what to do after a point. Exactly. Um, I watch the development of things like, well, I mean, I guess Slack is a good example because it's in the news about, you know, it's IPO and stuff like that. But, you know, it doesn't look a thing like it did at first. Um, And that's mostly to, uh, you know, the fault of, and also the, uh, uh, at the, at the pleasure of its customers, you know, the more customers it got, the more people were telling it what to do and the faster it added features and, you know, became the thing that it is now. So now it's sort of not just a quick little email replacement, but now it's like a, a an entire work dashboard that people use. And it just sort of, uh, you know, takes up, I, I almost replacing, you know, corporate intranets to a point. So, hey, so exactly. Skynet, basically. Yeah, Skynet. Yes, <laughs> it has a, a it has communi- constant communication with an army of robots oh, that are no. uh, ro- roaming the landscape. Um, well, hey, hey, let's uh, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what's going wrong and right at telcos, or or with the telco mindset. And then uh, also, I'm kind of curious about uh, you know what's changed in IT as well, given uh, Bill's background from. Uh, from Sun and and uh, and that uh, world, so we will be right back. We are back. It's the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey with Kelsey Zeiser in Raleigh, and our guest Bill Walker. Uh, former CenturyLink executive in uh, just south of Denver. Hey. All right. Uh, so what we were talking about before is, uh, you know, Bill's time at CenturyLink, what's uh, what's different, what he worked on, uh, some takeaways. Uh, now we want to talk about, I guess, just the evolution of telcos in general. It's always interesting to uh, get the point of view of uh, someone who's been in that culture, but also has come from, you know, the IT side and also worked at a vendor before, you know, cause you sort of, you know, Bill's had a, a pretty, uh, a storied work. career. That's how you can put it. <laughs> Well-traveled work experience, a storied career. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, so uh, on the telco side, um, what's, what are they, you know, what are telcos still not very good at that we don't talk about enough? Well, I, I think the the change. Um, I said, yeah, being stuck in that mindset of mm-hmm. of the 
of being a telco of of managing those those phone lines and that you know kind of last mile broadband connection uh, it, it's really difficult and if you look at the even the bandwidth upgrades that we've done over time from 3g to 4g and now 5g um, actually looking at um, and broadband too i mean let's talk dsl and fiber yeah. um, looking at how the customers are consuming that and not just the cost per bit cost per uh, cost per mile kind of thing with fiber, but being aware of how the customers are using that bandwidth. So when Netflix first became popular streaming content, when the iPhone first came out in New York City you know, a decade ago, mm-hmm. decade plus, um, yeah. be, they're very, telcos in general are just very reactive to the consumption of data. So if we look at, you know, what's next, we had Pokemon Go, we had Fortnite. Um, <laughs> the next thing might be augmented reality of shooting zombies while you're walking around. Huh, that's terrifying. Uh, you know, the, the, <laughs> that's a, and, and yes, that, yes, that game does exist. Oh, yes, really? that game does exist. But now if that, if that becomes the next Fortnite or the next Pokemon <laughs> Go, um, or if, you know, the Xbox network, the, the PlayStation network start to do... Uh, cooperative games where yeah. some of the processing happens on your home console, but some of it happens in the cloud or in a central office or an exchange somewhere. Um, those bandwidth requirements and the latency requirements are going to change pretty spectacularly. And it's going to be a 30 day ramp up. I mean, Fortnite and mm-hmm. Pokemon go were you know, sudden sensations. So if the, the next big thing, if the next big use of the network catches everybody by surprise, it's going to change everybody's investments and build outs and things like that. Well, and we've also, we've already had a glimpse of what, what's to come with that Google Stadia announcement. Um, You know, they're, they're really taking the idea that the, the cloud is going to be the, the be all end all of your, uh, your gaming experience. And you'll, you'll need precious little hardware on your end. Um, Imagine taking that and mobilizing it and making it, you know, move around. That's, that's something that I think telcos uh, aren't prepared to ha- to handle right now, and I I wonder once it <laughs> once that game does show up, which I'm sure it will, will, how quickly will they be able to you know to accommodate it? It's always the games that you have to watch to see what the next big thing is. I said that's the you know video and gaming have always been kind of the leading edge of what ends up happening. Yeah, yeah, and video has has um, plateaued in terms of the experience. I mean, I know everybody's like, "Oh yeah, 4K is is amazing," but it's like, but yeah, but even with 4K, it didn't really it, it didn't really um, blow us away in the way that um, that the jump from SD to to high def uh, did, um, and and there was there didn't seem to be such a such a big jump. It's kind of a um, more of a uh, capacity consumption problem, but adding capacity consumption, uh, mobility and latency. It's, it's exactly a, it's I mean, a tall order. Telcos generally, uh, you know, engineer their capacity on a six, 12, 24 month kind of rotating sliding window. And I mean, six months is okay. I, when 4k TVs came out, they were, you know, thank the consumer electronics business. They were, they were expensive enough that, Everybody didn't go out and buy a 4K TV and go from a meg and a half streaming to eight meg streaming overnight. I mean, that's a you know basically a 4x increase in the yeah. network traffic. So they had 12 months to kind of slide into it, and even today, people you know 
I have high def. I don't have 4K in my living room, so I'm a I'm a lagger. I I don't either. I I was going to get 4K, but um, and this is maybe a thing I should talk to AT and T about. But the Direct TV guy talked me out of it. Huh. He, <laughs> he said the equipment didn't work very well, and I would be disappointed. <laughs> we already have three TVs in a very small home, so I don't think we'll be buying one in the near future. <laughs> but uh, Bill, to play a good cop to Phil's bad cop. Uh, what are some <laughs> what are some things that service providers are good at that perhaps they're not getting enough credit for? And, and this is where kind of the IT industry and the network industry are, are really coming together. Um, I think everybody's realized that, you know, a data center by itself is useless and a network by itself is useless. You have to have a service and then deliver them. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody, if you look at what AT&T is doing with uh, uh, HP on the Metro Edge are the mobile edge compute. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at what Verizon's doing with Verizon 2.0 and the intelligent edge network. And and then you look over and you see like an Equinix who's actually selling VNFs. They're selling network services on their edges. Yeah, um, it, It's kind of come together that people are starting to realize that you have to answer for your customer. So if your customers are consuming end-to-end services made of multiple data sources that are distributed in a cloud, then as a Kelsey, you and I talked about this, you know, a month ago um, at the 5G event, mm-hmm. network latency and throughput are part of the application. And I think everybody is realizing that, okay, you know, Google's a, a giant 800 pound gorilla in the IT world, but Google is not really a, what I would consider a network provider. Mm-hmm. Right their network is composed of other networks that they buy, lease, dark fiber, whatever from other people. Um, so they have kind of a virtual core network as well as their own physical core network. But if even the biggest gorilla is partnering in areas where they're not strong and don't own last mile in 50 states, mm. you, you're starting to see people come together and solve problems for the customers, enterprise and consumer customers. Yeah, that is interesting because that, that that does um, it opens up the possibility once you once you uh, own the network, you have. I, th- I feel like once you own the network, you have such a, a, a you know the wind at your back for so many services and so and for so many reasons. But that also maybe maybe the very act of owning the network contributes to that lack of flexibility. You know, right. that, that mindset. Right. I mean, we were joking, you know, before we started about, you know, I guess we all have fiber at home. Well, you know, (laughs) my fiber at home is great, but, you know, sitting here in my browsers, I've got, you know, light reading, Facebook, the PBA website, eBay, you know, I'm, I'm going outside of my, my home carrier. Right. So for me to get to, well, I have no idea what's between my carrier and, um, you know, what am I sitting here looking at E-Trade? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so looking at that, that I can build the world's best application. And if I host it wrong within the network, the customer experience is going to be bad. Mm-hmm. So I really think it's about customer experience and engineering that, that delivery of the experience to the customer, which is both software data and, and a network delivery mechanism. Yeah. It all has to work together or none of it works at all, I guess. Exactly. Um, hey, um, uh, about the, you know, your time in the IT industry, you, you were at Sun Microsystems back in the day where the, the network was the computer. Um, Still is. 
It still is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, what uh, uh, what do you observe about you know how the IT industry has changed? Because I, you know it, you know once you once you go into a different industry, you don't really sort of you know shut off your brain from watching to see what's happening in IT. And at the same time, those worlds are, I think, converging more quickly than ever, especially with, uh, as virtualization, um, and, you know, DevOps started, you know, really becoming, uh, influential inside of telco. So what, uh, what, what, what have you seen that's, uh, sort of changed or, you know, what, what genie's out of the bottle now in, in the IT business? <laughs> exactly. So we used to have these benchmarks and we would run, you know, everybody ran their canned benchmarks to get their performance numbers. But, you know, it was a big bragging right that, you know, I got 12% better score on some benchmark than my competitor. But now when I look at that, I was like, wow, what did you do incompatible? Hmm. So I really want all the benchmarks to be standard. I want the the commodity, you know, we say commodity x86 hardware. Um, I want it all to be equal. I, I don't want any differentiation in my physical hardware. So the IT industry has moved more to a customer relationship Um requirements, um, engineering the right solution for the right piece of software in IT, if you think about like enterprise IT, um, mm-hmm. not overselling the budget, adding extra memory just in case to raise the price. Um, so I think that's come down to a real commodity business that's all about the support contracts and the reliability. It's the build quality and then the, the customer support and engineering on the back end, um, which really makes the, the difference between vendors. Um, yeah, and then I've got this pile of of servers that are all basically the same that I want to be as as similar as possible, and yeah. you throw those into, and that's where Google, Amazon, I said, you know, that's where your cloud providers actually actually totally shine. Um, then we've got another commoditization of those servers go into these giant shared data centers like Switch in Vegas, um, Equinix. Um, that's the one that I'm most familiar with, but Digital Realty Trust, right. Corsite, Rackspace, um, where they have experts that have now engineered out all the cost of power and cooling and efficiency and, um, you know, how many angels can you dance on the head of a pin to get a generator to, <laughs> you know, do gigawatts of, of power? Yeah. So the, these guys that are, uh, that used to build data centers and make it good enough have now, if I can save 10% on a $20 million power bill, it's real mm-hmm. money. So engineering out the power cooling inefficiencies has come miles and miles. So hmm. it's kind of an interesting stack that you have these ultra uh, effective, ultra, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Efficient yeah. <laughs> buildings that are holding computers, which are ultra efficient commodities, yeah. um, running software, which has to be totally horizontally scalable and support hundreds of millions of customers and then deliver over this giant network. So I think the whole stack has kind of matured over time to be incredibly efficient or dead. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're, they're just becoming uh, telco networks seem to be these uh, decomposed supercomputers almost. Exactly. And you've got like hyper processing happening over here and hyper storage happening over here. And then just some, some, you know, lines connecting them um, like you would on a circuit board. It's kind of weird. So I, I remember when eBay ran on 13 computers and oh, it, wow. admittedly they were smaller, you know, smaller company than they are now, fewer transactions. But 
all of eBay, including search and image storage and everything else was like 13 really, really big computers. And now there's tens of thousands of machines spread all over the world. I mean, not just all over the country, but yeah. Um, they've totally disaggregated and distributed their services, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, they're they're a real worldwide marketplace now, which is it's it's hard to imagine that that became that you know that that evolved that eBay evolved into that, but it it's obvious if you've ever had to you know if you've ever just browsed services anywhere else or tried to you know respond to anything when you're out of the country, and it's just like the the. The, the the speed of service on eBay's site and you know getting to your account and doing things uh, anywhere in the world is lightning fast. It's crazy. Yes, we shouldn't single them out. I mean, Amazon, same thing. Google, yeah. same thing. I mean, the the heavyweight network, the heavyweight network service players, um, internet service players have figured out how to engineer latency and throughput into their app. Yeah, and I've never I've never once uh, uh, complained about Netflix on the road either. Come to think of it. Um, uh, even even in crappy hotel Wi-Fi, they've they've figured out how to get get my shows to me, and for that I'm forever grateful. Um, so uh, I guess my last question will be something bowling related, since you are since you are a, a card carry, a, literally a card carrying <laughs> member uh, for those of, for those of us who see your social media uh, on the uh, on the professional bowling uh, or was it a professional bowlers association? Yes. PBA? yes. Okay. So what is a a simple, you know, cause all of us have to go to corporate outings where we have to bowl in front of our coworkers. <laughs> exactly. What is one thing I can do or anybody can do that will, will, will make us look that much more accomplished or less ridiculous, I should say, <laughs> uh, when we go to bowl, than then, you know, than our, than our coworkers and our colleagues. So the thing that I always do is I, I almost on my first, uh, I guess you call it throw my first, whatever. I always seem to misjudge where the line is and I get the super slick part. And then I, <laughs> and then I try to, you know, uh, try, try to maintain my balance. And that's always, a um, that's always fun for my coworkers. But, uh, what, uh, what, what one tip could you give somebody? Ah, so lesson number one is always three tips. Number one, don't use muscles. You let the ball swing. Number two is huh. in your head, picture sliding a suitcase down a hallway because that'll make your muscle memory kind of click. And number three is uh, blame the lanes. Number three is what? Blame the lanes. It's never oh. your fault. You know, the, okay. lanes have, it's, <laughs> the, the pins are heavy. There's too much oil. Oh, yeah, physics. it's never your yeah. fault. Look at this wood grain. It's going the <laughs> wrong way. It's a, exactly. When's it's the last the, time they polished this thing here? Yeah, it's the topography of the lane panels. It's leaning to the right. I thought you said oh, uh, see, I'm just going to take blaze that. the lanes, like just burn it all. No, yeah. no. <laughs> I thought he was recommending something entirely different. I was like, whoa. Burn it down. How about that? <laughs> oh, that's good times. So, yeah. Well, well, we'll probably do all of that actually on our next outing. But just, but yeah, no, it's, I, I think blaming the lanes is going to be my, uh, that's going to be that's my. That's it. It's, it's the rental shoes. I, yeah. Yeah, I try and dance a little in between, um, you know, when, I'm, when it's my turn, just as like a distraction to how bad of a bowler I am. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, works okay. it works. We all, we all, we all end up laughing and then the next, and then it's time for one of us to go up and we're like, we didn't even see the score. We didn't, we don't have any, there's nothing yeah. to gloat about. Exactly. <laughs> 
All right. Well, Bill, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today, Kelsey. Uh, I will leave the intro in your capable or the outro in your capable hands. Fire All when right. ready. Thanks so much, Bill, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the Light Reading Podcast. The podcast is mixed and edited by Tian Fu in New York. You can reach us by emailing editors at lightreading.com. And also please follow up Light Reading on Twitter at light underscore reading. For the articles and research that we've discussed in the show, visit lightreading.com and search podcasts. This podcast is available on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your coworkers, friends, strangers, pets, um, everybody at the bowling everyone alley. at the bowling alley your cashier at target all about us so we'll be back with another episode real soon thanks for listening see you next time